This is News Talk 980 CKNW. First and foremost, our thoughts and prayers go out to our Floridian families and friends at this time. They are close to our hearts here on the Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate everyone about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making your relationships the best they can be. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other, researcher, blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink and for the Huffington Post, a clinician, a TED speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you discover new and exciting things about sex, love, health, and your body, and also your relationships. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly no apologies. Just fearless, straight-up talk about sex, love, relationships, your body, and your health. This is more than a sex show, however. As you might have noticed, it's also a health and relationship show. I just try to lure you in or seduce you with the sex, because everybody likes sex. Let's hope for you it will be illuminating, educational, get you thinking outside of the box, and have a little bit of fun So please stay with me. There is, of course, an aspect of sexual health that is dark, and that is sexual abuse, any unwanted sexual advances, pedophilia, and, of course, rape. For those of you who have been sexually abused, you are never far from my heart, and I wish you all the best on your healing journey. I keep you in my thoughts and prayers, and and I'm saddened with every story that I hear. Please do put the kitties to bed. Grab your glass of wine, perhaps your lover if you have one, and do join me. Good evening, Matt. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Yourself? I'm fine, thank you. Yes. It's, it is pretty crazy, some of the stories we're seeing out of Florida right now. Very crazy. And you know, uh, this leads to, um, well, first of all, Hurricane Irma has killed 26 people in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we have a, a young um, medical student down there who's looking to get home. And uh, come on, Canada, you can do better. Yeah, apparently Americans, they're not really doing a lot to get her out, at least n- from what she's saying. No, yeah, she's saying that it's going to cost her $1,500 to get to Puerto Rico and then fly home uh, from there. Apparently she's seeing dogs and cats being sent off on boats, at least what some of our CKW reporters have been saying. The Americans, yes. Yeah. Well, um, yes, as my neighbor used to say when I was growing up, he wanted to come back in his second life as an American dog. They're treated so well. So come on, Canada, you got to do a bit better and bring home our um, future doctors. In fact, she's in medical school down there. But, you know, there's so much suffering. And and when the drama of the 35 hours of sustained winds and catastrophic storm surges, which is when the sea level rises, and in this case, it is um, rising. Receding as well. Yes, absolutely. Some of those are really scary photos. The ocean's just disappeared, and you're wondering what it's going to happen when it comes back. That's right. Yes, because that can be another, you know, very high surges. And and um, the rain and the surf, There's there will be months of in uninhabitable areas, uh, p- potentially, as you mentioned, uh, an entirely different geography, cleanup that will have to have flooded homes, piles of junk, loss, heartache, stress, anxiety, and the impact on intimate relationships with regard to all of this cannot be overstated. And so, yeah, so it's really um, the Floridians need our our prayers and our thoughts. And, um, you know, I know that the storm has been downgraded, so hopefully the damage won't be as extensive as we once thought. But, yeah. Yeah, and not to mention what's happened in Texas as well. It's like we've stopped talking about them for a while because there's another big storm. Hopefully they're all still doing... That's right, and not to forget our own province here, which has um, pretty much burned for the most of the summer. It's just so scary. It's a whole Western North America is on fire right now. Yeah, and it's, um, you know, lives are are really impacted in such a negative way, and anxiety and depression and stress are all very real 
um, issues that can occur for people, and it certainly will impact relationships. So, um, you know, we uh, any help that anyone can do um, uh, is is I'm certain greatly appreciated. So we we hope and pray for the best. Um, but anyway, as always, great to see you, Matt. Uh, if anyone wants to give us a call, the number to call is six zero four. Two eight zero nine eight nine eight. We'll happily talk to you and take your questions. We have lots of great guests on the program tonight. I'm very happy about that. That's always um, it's always good to talk to people. Um, I, I love people. I, <laughs> you do too, right, Matt? Of yeah. course. Love to hear their stories. You know, only the truth is interesting, and um, I love hearing you know about people's lives and, and their stories, and and you know even their heartache and their pain and their successes as well. Because when you get through that. Um, you know, if you're allowed to get through your your failures or your pain or your strife or your heartache in life, you know, you feel successful and you feel you're, you build up your self-esteem and you feel so much better and you're able to take on other things and conquer other things. But, you know, sex is always in the news. Let's let's face it. And of course, um, we have it at Fox News. Again, we have um, Eric Bowling, who has been um, discharged, shall we say, yeah, released from duties. It seems like every month someone's leaving Fox because of sexting or it harassment. It seems that sending their baubles across the uh, internet or across texting to somebody who never asked for them yeah. uh, in the first place. And, um, of course, they've been plagued by this before, Roger Ailes. And um, and so, you know, this, this story as well, though, this gentleman, Eric Bowling, had also um, made fun of Mr. Wiener and, and really chastised him yeah, for his... Yeah, when you called him gentleman. I turned my mic off to laugh there. But. Well, okay. Um, but, uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you know, he's, you know, call, the pot calling the kettle black. And we often ha- have that in situations like that. We also had the pot calling the kettle black a little bit too. And then you may not think this is related to sex, but you know what? Violence is related to sex. Domestic abuse is related to sex, related to intimate relationships. And so I was a little put off when I saw the photograph um, of the premier John Horgan and Linda Hepner, the mayor of Surrey and Meninder Gill, who is a convicted shooter he he um ruined a wedding basically and uh and he's awaiting his sentencing and so they were all in a selfie together in a photograph together and you know what it's just like come on you know pay attention uh you know and they were sorry that they were but but linda hepner said she knew meninder gill so she must have known that he was there those events are vetted so closely um, but anyway, it's a, a bit, again, call, the pot calling the kettle black. And, and Surrey is also in dire straits. You know, that's a, a in all honesty, I, I do some work out there. And the two times that I've actually stopped, and both times my life was in danger. I, I Only that I'd had a meeting with two former military guys. And as we left the restaurant and I walked toward my car, um, four drunk men approached me in between two cars and the one guy, knew, he sensed something, and I'm sure because he was former military. And so he basically came over and saved my life because he knew, you know, uh, and these guys just came upon me and, you know, started saying some things in there, um, you know, and I'm grateful to be alive for that. And then another time I was, um, you know, uh, encircled by some gang members at a at a store that I stopped at to pick up a, a Diet Pepsi or a sub or something. Anyway, so, um, you know, this is, this is this hypocrite, this hypocritical way. And this ruins relationships too when people are hypocritical and, and, you know, trust is the cornerstone of any relationship. So I just wanted to point that out that, um, you know, people have to have integrity and your word. 
you've got to stand by your word. And, um, you know, I, quite honestly, I'm working to make Surrey safer a little bit in the work that I do. And, uh, and I'd appreciate it if the politicians would do the same. Um, also, I wanted to mention um, the uh, dress code. We have um, a waitress. Did you see that at Eastside Mario's? Not That's uh, back in the news, eh? Back in the news, yeah. Are you uh, talking about the pregnant lady that was refused no, service because no, her belly was hanging out? No, no, no. This um, waitress uh, was told she had to put a bra on. You know, like, we don't always want to cage the girls, okay? Apparently, it's actually really <laughs> unhealthy to keep them caged all the time. It certainly is. And, you know, uh, and so there's oftentimes I go to work, Erin uh, Gobralis, shall we say, for this Irish girl, and uh, nobody tells me. <laughs> What to do about that? But anyway, um, I, I, I think we should all have an Erin Gobralis day. We should stand in because this was a woman that actually told her female colleague that, uh, and I gather that Eastside Marios is investigating this, um, but the woman told the waitress that she should put a bra on. Anyway, um, because... Oh, so this was a, this was a, uh, a customer said this to their staff. Apparently, a customer said it to the oh. to the manager allegedly, and the manager told the the waitress to put a bra on anyway. And she uh, took issue with that, and and so would I, quite frankly. But um, so I think we should have an Erin Go Braless Day on Twitter, where we all go <laughs> braless and stand with our sister for our sisters. Anyway, um, also going to be talking about, we've got lots to cover tonight on the program tonight. We're going to be talking about sex research and actual sex research in a lab. And so we have a sex researcher joining me at the uh, bottom of the hour to talk about that. And um, also in the news, hyperemesis gravidarum, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, is experiencing that once again. And that is a little known condition um, that has, there's a lot of myths associated with that. So I'll talk about that. Today is World Suicide Prevention Day. The absolute best TED Talk or any talk for that matter on depression was delivered by the esteemed Andrew Solomon. And he has been a guest on this program before. I implore you to watch it. It's called The Secret We Share on YouTube. It's called Depression, The Secret We Share. And um, that said, if you have ever been afflicted or touched by uh, depression by somebody in your family that you love that has depression or by death uh, or death by suicide in your life or your family, um, I have some advice to you to, for you on how to live just a little bit better around that, uh, around surviving uh, the loss of a loved one by dying by suicide. Um, we're also going to be talking about um, marriage again and the conflicts in marriage. And uh, marriage therapy is one thing, but um, maybe you want to have hypnotherapy to resol- help to you to resolve your marital conflicts. And so Julie Turner, who is happens to be a matchmaker, and not only she, does she match you, but then she'll help you later deal with your issues. So she's going to be joining me in the studio tonight. Dr. Peter Black is going to be joining me very shortly to talk about why 15% of men regret their prostate cancer treatments. Um, we also are going to be talking about um, stashing. Do you know what stashing is, Matt? No. <laughs> I've taught you about cushioning and ghosting and plan B. Well, tonight, stashing. I, stashing. I mean, like... You'll have to stay tuned. No, it's not that All much. Right. <laughs> Mine out of the gutter. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. But uh, if you stay with me. And do you want to communicate better with your partner? Well, I have some tips for you on that. And... Um, what We're going to save the best for last. What about women and porn? What you 
haven't got a clue about. But I also am going to be talking about bladder health and because some patients of mine told me that I don't talk about it enough. And uh, so there are treatments for leakage of urine. And um, and I do have a little prize to give away on the program tonight. The Sensitone, it's a pelvic floor stimulator uh, for you. So you can give us a call 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. We're going to be getting Dr. Peter Black on the line with me. So you're all just going to be talking about regret over prostate cancer treatments. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. On the line with me is Dr. Peter Black. He is familiar to this show. He's been a guest before. He's a urologist at Vancouver Prostate Center. Uh, I wanted to talk to him tonight about uh, men and their regretting their decisions about their radical prostatectomy or radiation therapy. Dr. Black, hello. Hi, Maureen. How are you? Very good, thanks. Oh, good. So about twice as many men express regret after radical prostatectomy or radiation therapy as compared with active surveillance or watchful waiting. And the single biggest contributor to the regret was treatment-associated sexual dysfunction. This was reported in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. Uh, do you find that in your clinical practice, and, and to what do we do you think we owe this? Yeah, you know, I think there are a lot of issues around treatment regret and prostate cancer. I mean, first of all, there are so many choices for treatment. Um, if you don't have a choice, you're less likely to regret which treatment you got. But uh, clearly, there are a lot of side effects with prostate cancer treatment, and so if a patient uh, has one of the side effects, such as loss of sexual function, they may think, uh, well, maybe if I just had the other choice, so maybe if I had radiation instead of surgery or surgery instead of radiation, I would have been better off. But, uh, well, you know, one thing specifically about this study is the patients were treated in 1994 and 1995, and uh, the act of surveillance or just watching the cancer wasn't done very frequently back then, and it's done much more often now. And, and about 60% of patients in the study would go on active surveillance at, at this point in time so they will see that they were treated for something then that they wouldn't be treated for now. And so it's, it's very understandable that there would be regret around that treatment and the, and the loss of uh, sexual function that goes along with it. Of course. And do you think healthcare providers do as good of a job as they can uh, to discuss some of the treatment side effects like sexual dysfunction and urinary incontinence, for example? And by the same token, do you think patients are listening when their life is at stake, when they hear the word cancer and they think, how long am I going to live? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the different urologists and radiation oncologists and everyone involved uh, is doing, uh, you know, as good a job as they can, but it's an imperfect process. So if you sit down and tell a patient they have prostate cancer and then go on to talk about treatment, they're, they're generally not going to absorb very much. And so typically it involves multiple conversations and maybe com- conversations also with with other providers, people like yourself. Yes, um, <laughs> I take and, full responsibility here. Yeah. <laughs> and and so that that's really important. But in our healthcare system, often it really comes down to one conversation and it's just impossible to retain all the information. So, so I think we can, you know, systematically we can do better, even though the individuals are certainly doing doing their best. I think we can. And, and also, though, um, you know, people don't realize, I think, how devastating leakage of urine or loss of sexual function can be to their mental health. And as you know, today is Suicide Prevention Awareness Day. And some people actually die by suicide because they're living with uh, 
um, the side effects from a lot of the genitourinary or some of the ill effects of the genitourinary cancer. Um, so many of those patients actually take their own lives. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think overall, it's it's a small proportion, but it's certainly a concern. And I think just in general, the depression after diagnosis and treatment is a concern. And you know, as a as a surgeon, it's easy to say, "Well, look, you know, it wasn't that bad a cancer, and we removed it all, and you know, you should be happy." Right. But uh, we don't really address the mental health issues very well because a poor prognosis, financial struggles, depression, anxiety can all be involved, and you, as the surgeon, may not be aware of of all that's going on in a person's life. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but you do great work, Doctor Black, and in and you also get out there in the community, and you're getting out there in the community on September fourth for. Uh, bladder Cancer Awareness, the Bladder Cancer Canada Walk. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Which, um, unfortunately, I can't be there this year. Yeah. I'm going to be out of town. <laughs> devastating loss. So. <laughs> Thank you. On, on September uh, 24th, it's going to be at, at Deer Lake. Um, it starts, registrations at 9.30. The walk starts at 10. It's a 5K walk, but we, it can be as short as anybody needs it to be. And the idea is really just to get people out um, for the sake of awareness around bladder cancer. It is uh, the fifth most common cancer in Canada. And because it's it, this research is so important, and you do tremendous yeah. research over um, at Vancouver, at the Vancouver Prostate Center and Vancouver General Hospital and UBC and, and everywhere. So thanks for your great work, and um, thanks for talking to us about this subject yeah. tonight. Thanks for talking about these issues. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, when I come back, we're going to be talking about sex in laboratories, real live sex. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the second uh, to the second half hour of the first hour of the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. I am only human. Uh, it's always my pleasure to have you here with me. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse in the field of sexual health. We're talking about lots of different subjects tonight, and I have great guests. And right now I am uh, joined on the line by Nicole Prouse. She is a sexual psychophysiologist and neuroscientist specializing in the study of human sexual behavior. She has worked at Harvard University, uh, Idaho State University, and in an associate scientist position at the University of California, Los Angeles. She is the founder and chief executive of Liberos LLC, an independent sexual research institute. And in April, she was a consultant on the UK TV documentary, The Super Orgasm, A Woman After My Own Heart. Hello, Nicole. Hi, Maureen. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Hanging in there. Excellent, excellent. So we haven't had some actual um, research where we've had humans in labs do uh, performing uh, intimate acts, shall we say, uh, since really Masters and Johnson in the 50s. And it's extremely difficult to do this type of research, to get approval to do this type of research, especially in the U.S. We're a little bit more liberated here in Canada. But uh, you're doing that in your lab at Liberos LLC. Yes, we're terribly jealous of Canada that has women's health initiatives uh, on Trudeau that uh, we do not have access to here. So we are having couples into the laboratory that have a very constrained sexual interaction uh, where we're measuring both of their brain waves and also some other physiology to try and actually understand how those interactions work. That's fantastic. And so you're recruiting uh, regular couples out there? We are meeting right now sending folks to practice something called orgasmic meditation because they have a, that constrained practice where they do uh, manual clitoral stimulation for 15 minutes in a way that is very aware of 
consent and uh, safety issues. They, you know, they use gloves in their practice and move. So it was a perfect kind of first foray into trying to characterize partner interaction. So this is uh, couples together. Are they performing that themse- on themselves or is it self-stimulation or? Uh, so it's the partner performs the stimulation. So the person being stimulated is always female, but their partner may be male, female, or other. Okay. Uh, sorry for the other. <laughs> the, in previous work, we've done uh, more solo sex stimulation. So I do think computerized vibrators to bring people to orgasm. And now we're also working on uh, self-stimulation protocols, but it's tough to control people's own stimulation. So we have to come up with methods to make sure they are using the same intensity of movement across. Exactly. And absolutely. And do you use, um, so are they, so you're using the partner's hand um, perhaps, or or maybe their penis, I don't know. Um, But do you ever use sex toys um, to, to control that stimulation? Uh, not in this partnered study. In our previous ones, we have used a, a Hitachi Magic Wand that had an extension either for male or female uh, genitalia. It works equally well on the guys, so <laughs> it's not a problem. Um, we've also used that vibrator as a reward to uh, study people playing games to try and win seconds of genital stimulation in the lab. So okay. it's, um, we do use intense vibrators to look at those rewards. Okay, and there's very little known about uh, what an orgasm is physiologically. Uh, so what are you learning? What are you finding out? What what happens to the brain? What uh, Can you demystify some of this? Why is it that some women are able to experience orgasm and multiple orgasms and other women are not? Physi- from a physiological standpoint, of course, there's always um, other aspects, uh, other contributing factors to that. Exactly. We don't really know how orgasms are triggered still. But we have... Well, I can tell you. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Can I be a subject uh, down there? No. (laughs) We always get these questions, the follow-through. You're happy to... Um, I'm having a little difficulty hearing you. Uh, So we have uh, two main things we're looking at with the orgasm work. Uh, One is uh, some of the people, when they experience orgasm, that is by pressing a button, they let us know they think it's starting. And we find that they actually aren't always having the contractions that we thought always occurred at orgasm. So we're trying to understand what that's about. And then we also are seeing uh, there's been some work that suggests at orgasm, the brain becomes less active or inactive or reduces control. But our brain measures are faster than what's been used in the past. And we're seeing that that actually seems to occur much earlier than orgasm. So we're trying to also understand what that might mean. Okay, and um, many people think that sexuality is a niche area of neuroscience. What what do you think about that? That kills me. <laughs> we get that all the time. So to me, I study primary rewards. So if you like chocolate, <laughs> uh, if you enjoy looking at babies and playing with babies, uh, these are similar kinds of processes as far as the brain is concerned. These are things that you want to approach, that you want to engage with, that are pleasurable, albeit in different ways. <laughs> and so trying to just understand, like someone who's depressed, for example, often has difficulty in that they can recognize something as pleasurable, but their brain dampens that experience very rapidly, whether it's sexuality or dessert. Uh, so it's a kind of common experience where you know we can build on the commonalities in sexuality and other pleasures and other uh, kind of approach motivations, we would say, to characterize emotional response broadly. Uh, it's certainly not limited to sexuality. 
So your research has uh, the potential to have applications in other aspects of health, like mental health and emotional health and perhaps relational health. health. That is our big push. So I always say no one cares if you can have an orgasm if you can't feed your kids. There is some element of, while sexual health is important in its own right, if we can use it to improve general health, uh, I think there's a lot of promise and traction there with the science. So, you know, we may be able to, we often talk about using sex to facilitate sleep, but there's actually no data showing that that helps in humans. Of course it should. (laughs) Uh, There's nothing showing that. Um, And so we need to make those links, and this is a way to start doing those, uh, that kind of work. And so you've had some attitudes about your sex research um, by uh, certain institutions and and, um, other healthcare providers, I imagine, that have kind of um, looked down upon you. So what is that what prompted you to found Liberos? Uh, Ultimately, yes, we had a grant we had received to do this partnered sexual study, and the university I was at at the time refused to accept the funds, um, which was very surprising to myself and my co-investigator. And who who gave you the grant? Uh, So this was from One Taste Foundation. I should say, who awarded you the grant? Because I I know the grant application process is extensive and um, very detailed and and takes Mm -hmm. a uh, protracted experience. So who (laughs) provided you with the grant? Uh, Or who awarded you, sorry? Yeah, we have two. One is from the National Institutes of Health, and the other is from uh, a foundation. And the university where you were a professor did not allow you to accept those funds? Correct. They refused the funds. Because it was related to sex? They were very politic and not being explicit about it. So it's the only reason. I've never heard of that happening before or since. So uh, I am making a leap. But yes, we assume that it was well, sexual content. R- exactly. Um, the sky is blue, isn't it? Um, and, you know, even in those grant applications, you're not allowed to use sexuality words in the U.S. Yeah, we have program officers explicitly tell you do not put that word in because they discovered some grants were being brought before Congress for defunding after the grants had been awarded because congressional aides do regular searches of our databases and look for words like that. Uh, so there's no you know, particular concern about the grants, just conservatism in the U.S. Right. And, you know, there's a lot of problems around that when we don't educate children. You know, when we should really be taking a page out of the Belgium model, start educating children about sexuality and sex in, at their developmental level, starting at the age of four and appropriate education throughout their lifetime. But there's such a fear around sex and sexuality, and we're so afraid that our children might actually like it as they get older, you know. But there's so much research that uh, underscores the fact that if children are educated earlier, they actually delay uh, sexual acts. So it's counterintuitive, but um, you've also had some trouble from anti-pornography organizations around your research. Right. Unfortunately, the data we keep finding on folks who have problems or regulating their use of adult film uh, just doesn't fit an addiction model, uh, which is not to say those folks don't deserve help, but there's a very large treatment industry that's very lucrative that's grown up around treating it as an addiction, and we've been unable to find evidence uh, that it looks like an addiction. So they are very unhappy. I think that threatening their financial model uh, has resulted in, yes, a number of negative interactions <laughs> to put in politics. Right. So, you know, you deserve a lot of credit because you're actually doing tremendous work in under 
very challenging circumstances from all around. Um, so I, I commend you and, um, you know, I, I thank you as well. well uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we hope that the work ends up being something that's useful and broader perspective. So maybe if we can help folks that have affective issues uh, and show some of the broader health benefits of sexuality, that it might help the science become more accepted. Absolutely. And, and we, you know, we do a lot of sexual health work and research here in Canada. And I think sexual pleasure is valued a little bit more here and, and understanding around female sexual response cycles and sexual response cycles and, and sexuality as it relates to health. And um, so it's, you know, it's a conversation that we um, have as a method of promoting general health um, here, so I, I've I've been on the air talking about this subject for five years um, on this show, and I'm I'm grateful to the station for that uh, opportunity. And prior to that, I was on for about three or four years as a regular health contributor, mainly talking about sexual health. So um, we appreciate your work here in Canada, Nicole R. Prouse. Uh, and what's the best way for people to learn a little bit more about what you're doing? If you go Libra. Center.com, L-I-B-E-R-O-S, Center.com. You'll find our Twitter and everything else from that link. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and thanks so much for being on the show tonight and sharing your wisdom. Look forward to learning a little bit more about what you learn about orgasms. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Um, you know, I saw a piece in the New York Times, and uh, this actually struck a chord with me because I see a lot of people in my clinical practice or through my Skype consults or just talking to them on the street, whatever, or at a dinner party, whatever. People want to talk about this. It's one of the things we are most afraid that we might do. And we try to avoid it at all costs. And this article underscores that we all do it just the same. We marry the wrong person. Anyway, and uh, it's partly because we show our best self to that person. We associate that person with a great time, perhaps, you know, a a fabulous vacation in Venice or, um, you know, we don't really show them our true selves. We, we meet their families and we, and we try to get to know them. And, and you know what, we rarely delve into our complexities according to this article. And, and so we're, you don't really want to show somebody that you might lose your cool if a waitress serves you a wrong Dinner, well, that is definitely, uh, you want to say no to whoever does that. You definitely don't want to carry on a relationship. But but uh, people marry for all sorts of reasons, biological clocks ticking, or they think that somebody has come from the right family. Marriage has changed so much over time. But, um, you know, you might have married the wrong person, and you might be trying again. Or you may not have gotten married yet. And um, so that's why I'm so delighted to have Julie Turner join me in the studio. She is a matchmaker. And also, she is a life coach. And she is trained in hypnotherapy. So if you are having problems in your relationship, although marriage counseling may work, hypnotherapy may work even better. Thanks so much for joining me in the studio, Julie. Thank you so much for having me, Maureen. Oh, it's I'm my so pleasure. excited to be here. Oh. <laughs> I have to tell you, it's one of my little mini dreams. I feel like I should be saying, we're not worthy, like Wayne's <laughs> World. 
Very excited. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm so honored to have you here in the studio, and I think this is a great subject. First of all, you're a matchmaker. Well, you're a life coach, and so that's a very that's great skills to be a matchmaker. So tell me about your matchmaking, and uh, who do you matchmake? Who comes to see you? What's the best way to deal with it, and, and how can people meet the right person? I get that question all the time. All right. Well, that's like a whole lot of questions in one. It so is. I'll just start wherever I feel like, as I usually do. Perfect. So matchmaking is actually relatively new for a career for me, but I've been doing it my entire life. I don't know if they're listening right now, but when I was 15 years old, which is a year or two ago, mm-hmm. I uh, <laughs> set up my first couple and they're married with three kids now. And this is many, many years later. Nice. So, And I've done it along the way. I've always been able to meet somebody and I think of somebody else. And strangely enough, sometimes I haven't met that somebody else. But I just, you know, you get a a visual of somebody else. But um, so I've decided to do it as a career after working as a life coach and hypnotherapist and realizing that the biggest thing that I deal with, no matter what somebody came to me for, whether it was for smoking or weight loss or whatever, it was always how it was affecting their relationships. So we always drilled back to the relationships in their life to really help them. So that's where I, at the end of the day, when I was helping my clients, they're like, well, you know, how do I find somebody if they weren't already in a relationship, of course, mm-hmm. ideally. And, uh, but that's not always the case, but that's another that's segment. Not, that is not always the case. <laughs> I try not to judge, but that was not always the case. But uh, so I started giving people, you know, helpful hints and everything from, you know, what to wear, where to go, how to speak to people, all these things that, you know, maybe you or I think is common knowledge, but not everyone understands that. There's a lot of people that are possibly not the extrovert. Maybe they're an introvert. Maybe, you know, they just aren't as socialized as What are some of the biggest issues that you see that people are making uh, mistakes in when they are out on the dating scene? Ego. Ego is, is the biggest mistake that anybody makes. And when I say ego, I don't mean, you know, the, the pompous jerk. It's the, the protection that we have that no matter what the subject is, they're like, oh, I can't let my true self be seen. And really, your true self is what somebody's going to fall in love with. And this is the problem. And this is why this, this article in the New York Times said that people don't show their true selves. And, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all human beings. And that's what, that is what makes us beautiful. And that's it what is. makes us fantastic. But um, we are, believe we're seeking happiness in marriage. Um, but it's not that simple. No, it is not that simple, for sure. And you have to accept yourself, correct me if I'm wrong, before somebody else is going to accept you. And you have to love yourself before somebody else is going to love you. So key. So if you are able to be authentic and honest about who you are, then the other person can accept you or, or they don't. But whatever the case may be, you'll get to move in the right direction for you. Exactly. So how can you, so say somebody is shy or doesn't want to do online dating or doesn't really know where to begin, how, do you, how would you advise them? Well, first of all, I try and figure out why they're shy. Now, absolutely, some people are just born more extroverted. That's absolutely the case. However, a lot of the time when people are shy, it's because throughout their life, they've been fed these belief systems. And that's where hypnotherapy kind of comes in. But we won't get into that. Yet. We'll get to that at the, uh, um, after, in the second hour. So they've been told that, you know, maybe they don't have a nice smile, or they have ugly teeth, or, or whatever the case may be. Like, we're, we're treated um, sometimes not so kindly. Mm-hmm. I had a patient recently, he said to me that he, he was married, actually, and he put his 
but he did set up a, a, a dating profile. He went on Plenty of Fish or, or one of them, and he said that he had a gap. A, 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 he quote he called it a David Letterman gap <laughs> <laughs> between his teeth. So on his <laughs> on his online picture, he didn't smile and and because he was self conscious of his teeth. But he said he got he was just shocked at how many people. Uh, how many women, um, you know, he was chatting with online, uh, you know, in spite of the fact that he didn't um, didn't smile because of his teeth. But then he eventually did meet some of them. And uh, anyway, obviously, you can't be like, you know, <laughs> Gumby the whole time. <laughs> anyway, I digress. But people do feel that they feel that they're not good enough. They mm-hmm. may not look good enough. Um, and, you know, they have these destructive dynamics that may occur, and that may occur as a result of their childhood. Maybe they were trying to, you know, dealing with an alcoholic parent or feelings of wanting to help somebody who's out of control. You know, so do you see that in your matchmaking? Absolutely. You just, you see everything. And that's why before I ever match people, I sit with them for at least six sessions. And we try and get to what you believe about yourself and decide if it's true or not really figure out who you are without other people's opinions, without society's opinions. And after that, after the end of that, then we can really decide, are you actually shy? Or were you afraid, you know, what you had to say wasn't going to be interesting? Or again, you know, that your smile wasn't very nice or whatever the case. Right. Now, body image is a huge issue for women. We're going to have to go to break soon. But so say somebody came and said, I don't feel comfortable about my body. I'm, you know, and they were maybe 100 pounds overweight. Would you and they wanted to be trimmer would you guide them through that process absolutely i have a great rolodex of some amazing people that i work with that can help with all kinds of things i myself have a nutrition certification mm-hmm. however that's not what i'm doing so i would probably put them towards somebody that could really help them in a functional way mm-hmm. but you could probably help them in terms of their feelings about that absolutely and, um, and the benefits of all yes. that. Well, it's great it's wonderful to talk to you and i'm so glad you're going to stay in the studio because we're going to talk about how hypnotherapy can help you in your marital conflict i am maureen mcgrath you're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Vancouver's News, Vancouver's Talk. This is News Talk 980 CKNW.